What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Gifted Hoops Podcast, Episode 2. First off, I want to say I appreciate all the support that we got on Episode 1. I'm going to start to officially be having these roll out on all other platforms. I had to wait a minute for the RSS feed to be approved, but we're officially approved on Spotify right now. Apple Podcast is also coming soon. If you're rocking with me, make sure to support the episode by downloading it on your respective platforms, liking it on YouTube, and following me on all my social medias. Uh, in the video version, you'll be able to see all of these things below. But let's officially get into it, man. Uh, it's been a while since we last recorded, but I feel like this is a very important episode because a lot has happened since we last talked. So I really want to open up with the most biggest relevant piece of information to come out that will directly impact the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard is injured. Um, the news about this more so sounds like the medical staff is not letting him play, even though Kawhi Leonard wants to play, but we're unsure of what the actual official opinion is on this, but we do know that Kawhi Leonard has no official timetable for return. He missed their pivotal game three, and it looks like he's also not going to be there today for game four. The time of this recording is like 1 p.m. on the East Coast on the 22nd. So that's kind of tough for the Clippers. Um, I think there is a big reflection piece that we could have about this team in the Paul George and Kawhi tenure in terms of how successful they have been and the Clippers curse that just keeps affecting them from year in, year out with their injuries. Um, no Kawhi and no Paul George in a series where if you're watching it, as good as the Suns have been through these last two games, if the Clippers are fully healthy, I, I fully expect them to beat the Suns, if I'm being really honest. But with that not being a thing and this not being an on-paper thing where you're evaluating the series for what it is, Kawhi Leonard missing the series, to me, effectively crowns the Suns as the winners of the series. Uh, Kawhi has been a spectacular player uh, for the beginning of the regular season. He had to work his way back. And, and again, the Clippers staff was not really letting him play and they were trying to be very protective with Kawhi but ultimately he was able to miss a good chunk of the regular season but when he came back post all-star break he was on fire like having 50 50 90 type of splits that's how good this guy was and in game one and game two if you watched it there was no question about who the best player on the floor was between Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and that really speaks to just how dominant Kawhi was in terms of him being this mid-range assassin and killer, uh, how he was able to get downhill and still have rim pressure, the playmaking that he was making out of attacking closeouts. Kawhi was absolutely sensational, and he was putting that Clippers team on his back where when he was on the court, they were doubling and tripling him, where they were leaving wide open, good shooters open, because that's how good Kawhi Leonard was. But now that he's gone, that effectively swings the series. The Clippers are now relying on their role player variants and Russell Westbrook to win the series. And I just don't think that's going to be enough to beat a Suns team that, for all the flaws that it does have, they still have Kevin Durant. They still have Devin Booker. And if they're able to run their high-paced offense and they make crisp decisions with the ball quickly, they should be able to defeat the Clippers, especially if Devin Booker is going to be this prolific in a playoff series so i have the suns still coming out i think my initial prediction was suns in six i'm gonna stick by that i do think the clippers can probably squeeze out maybe one more game 
even though it is unlikely. But I think the Kawhi stuff is sad, man. Like, he has been, at his best, a top player in this NBA. One of the best playoff performers that we've seen within the last decade. But the injury stuff is a real thing. And if it comes down to ranking where you put these players, for a lot of people, the knock on Kawhi is his availability compared to other stars. But make no mistake about it, when Kawhi is on the court and he's healthy, he has the argument at his best to be the best player in the league if he's playing at that peak level. I personally don't have him there, but the availability is just so unfortunate. And for this Clippers team, a team that is not going to be moving out of the Crypto.com arena to a brand new stadium, the question comes if you lose this series, is there going to be roster shakeup? Are you going to trade Paul George? Are you going to trade Kawhi Leonard? Or are you going to stomach through one more season of these guys, at least in the new arena? We really don't know. I think this Kawhi injury on top of the Paul George stuff is just another year of their guys not being available to go when it's time. And then one year they were available to go. They lost down 3-1 and they fumble and they collapsed. So if you're Steve Ballmer, I'm pretty sure that he's eyeing that situation carefully. And we're going to see the moves that this team makes in its offseason. And I think up and down, this is really symbolic of the Clippers season as well, seeing as how they had to work in Paul, George, and Kawhi. They trade for Russ, so they now have to try to work that in. Uh, each game, they have guys that are in and out. Uh, Ty Lue is not sure of what his lineups are going to be consistently. And even with Coach Tyron Lue, He's had multiple times where he's been a questionable coach with his lineups, his rotations, his short leash on Terrence Mann early in the season. It's just a lot of question marks around the organization. So I'm very curious to see what their future is in this offseason. But as it stands right now, uh, it's going to be on Westbrook and Terrence Mann and, and Powell and the other role players on the Clippers team if they want to make it through in this series. But that's enough Clippers talk. I promise you there will be breakdowns and more conversations about that on the podcast moving forward. But that was the biggest piece of news that dropped. Uh, in other news, though, let's get to my Warriors, baby. That's right. That's right. The Warriors take game three versus the Kings. Um, the Warriors looked really, really good. The biggest impact in the game. And obviously, we'll get to Kevin Looney because he played a, a big role in this. But again, if you listen to the first episode of the podcast, I said already, coming into that game without Draymond, the biggest thing I'm looking at is the offensive rebounding and the turnovers. Uh, the turnovers for the Warriors are not a new thing. They turn the ball over, but the, the timeliness of it and how bad it is is something that the Warriors can absolutely control. And in the game with no Draymond, I feel like they needed to take better care of the ball and they needed to dominate on the glass. And Kevon Looney absolutely was able to do that. I'm pretty sure he had nine offensive rebounds, nine assists off of kickout passes, and he had 20 total rebounds. Kevon Looney was absolutely dominant in his role. And for a lot of people that say I gas Kevon Looney, I give him his proper credit because the way the Warriors won the championship is they ultimately put their heads down, they relied on Steph Curry to be Steph Curry, obviously. But in terms of the defense, securing the rebounds on the defensive and offensive end is important. But generating second chance opportunities 
off of these rebounding situations and kicking out to a Steph Curry for three, to a Klay Thompson for three. Shoot, in, in game three, how Kevon got a critical board, kicked it to Steph for the deep three to end the first half. Those are momentum plays that can impact a team. So Kevon played well in his role. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was also pretty solid. I'm pretty sure he had seven rebounds on the night. That Andrew Wiggins is the Wiggins that swings the series to me because I said early, I don't think Andrew Wiggins is going to be at like his peak level until we get later into the series. But Andrew Wiggins through these three games physically to me has looked like himself. I don't really question how he's been. He's also been a, a good performer. Uh, last game, he put up 20 points. And again, if he's going to be able to impact the glass in that way, then that performance combined with Kevon Looney is the answer to how we keep up with the Kings on the glass. And if we're limiting our turnovers, that Kings team is struggling to score. And I understand a lot of people have been talking about, well, the Kings have not had their best shooting game so far. Well, neither have the Warriors. Um, in this blowout win from game three, the Warriors shot 16 of 50 from three. I know off the top of my head, because I know hoops, gifted hoops, follow the podcast, you know. But anyway, they shot 16 of 50 from three, right? So the Warriors have still not had their, their prime Golden State game where everyone is hitting shots out of the gym. Klay Thompson finished 5 of 15, but I promise you the shooting was a way worse than that. If you watch the game, he made some good front runner threes at the end after we already had the lead, which I'm not hating on it because however he can get his rhythm is crucial. But my point is Klay has not had this, this dominant 6-3 game where Klay already has 20 points before the half is over. Klay hasn't had that yet, right? Steph was sensational in this game, by the way. He had 36 points in 37 minutes played. He had a bunch of deep threes himself. But the way that Steph took it upon himself to take the ball, get to the basket more, be more aggressive, even when he was running off the ball, what he was doing in terms of catching it and consistently going to the basket, not trying to pull the ball back out and, and let the defense get set, but just taking the opportunity when it was there, it put a lot more pressure on Sabonis and the Kings defense. And if he's going to be able to play like that with Andrew Wiggins also coming along, then this is the Warriors team that a lot of people thought would be able to beat the Kings. Now, it's only been three games. And so far in the series, as I've said, and I'm going to keep saying over and over in the playoffs, if you are a home team, your main goal, your main objective is to simply survive and take the home game that is it you do not get brownie points for winning games at home unless there's obviously injuries involved or whatever but you're supposed to win your games at home so for this warriors team if you go down 0-3 the series is over right so with no draymond and also no gp2 who was a late scratch by the way they needed to win that game and they did that that's fine the warriors have to do the same thing in game four that's really what it comes down to. Until a team is able to steal a game on the road, this series doesn't fully switch as hard as people would like it to. So for game four, I expect this war scene to be locked in. But another big factor in game three were the impact minutes that you saw from Moses Moody and Kuminga. I would say Kuminga to a lesser extent because we've seen what Kuminga is capable of. But for Moses Moody to come into a playoff game and just play that well i mean he he hit big threes he got good offensive rebounds at times and just his motor his effort and his pace was there he was ready to play and this isn't a new thing 
because we saw him do this last year in spot minutes versus the Dallas Mavericks but to do it again in this type of series where a lot of people think that the Kings have momentum and it's looking like it could be a shorter series for Moody to come in in a critical game where again there's no Draymond and there's no GP2 that was very very big and I do expect her to rely on him a bit more as we progress through this series if he's going to be able to be that productive Kerr himself said that Kuminga and Moody have earned those minutes but in total that game as good as it, it was from the Warriors in terms of everyone being able to chip in and play a better defense at home holding the Kings to under 100 points I'm pretty sure that's like the second or the first time this entire season that the Kings have not put up 100 points that means a lot right so that's not something I'm trying to, to marginalize but for game four you expect the Warriors to be able to shoot better and consistently play with that pace that was able to win them this game. We, but you have to go one game at a time. On the Kings side, I'm pretty sure Monk shot one for nine. Some of the calls didn't really go their way. And, you know, every game, you're not going to be able to get the calls that you want. I didn't really complain so much about calls because go to stay on the road, I'm, I'm just not expecting it to favor them as much, especially because they're more so a jump shot reliant team. So, for me, uh, the Kings go as Fox and Sabonis are able to go and Monk as their three-level scorer. Harrison Barnes was spectacular in their game three. I'm very happy that the Warriors were able to recoup that because what he was doing on the glass and pushing in transition, he was really solid. And I think that this Kings team in game four is going to be a lot more reined in, understanding the stakes of this game, and it's going to be a lot more competitive game than game three. Which brings me to the Draymond stuff, right? Uh, he got suspended. There was a lot of hoopla on should Draymond have been suspended or not. Uh, me personally, I did believe he deserved his suspension. But we're done with that, right? It's finished. He got suspended. He's back in this game four. And the fire that I expect to see in him from not being able to be there for his team and them being able to win without him, I really expect that to show within this game four because if the Warriors take game four game five is anyone's game I know that it's going to be at home for the Kings but it puts the pressure on the Kings knowing that we were up 2-0 on this team they won two games they are the defending champions they have more experience than us and now we have to defend home court in a game five I think that puts a lot of pressure on the Kings so this to me should be a vintage Draymond game I expect him to play with that fire and that intensity and hopefully the team is able to rally behind them on that but so far this series has been one of the better series in the first round i'm liking exactly what i'm seeing but shout out to the warriors for handling the business um i'm gonna now pivot to another series that is actually surprising um i say surprising because a lot of people don't care about the series and I think I'm probably in that group as well. I say surprising because I thought the Timberwolves would put up somewhat of a bigger fight. But I was wrong. Um, right now, the Nuggets have a 3-0 series lead over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns played terrible in the first two games. He was better in game three. And so was Anthony Edwards in that first half. But they were not able to secure the game at the end. And I got to say, shout out to the, the Denver Nuggets. I think they're playing really good as a team. 
Um, you're seeing the impact of Christian Brown. I think he's been spectacular in terms of his minutes defensively and how he's been able to execute his simple role in the offensive end. Jamal Murray has been playing lights out uh, basketball. Even if his shot is not falling on a particular moment, his impact is being out there on the court. He's looking like playoff Jamal, which is good. Um, I still think that this is not a real test for them because I don't think how that Minnesota team is wired as good as they can be defensively. I just don't think they have a respectable enough offense to really consistently create advantages against this Denver team. I think Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., and Jamal Murray are just handling their business, and that's great. But I think that their real test is probably going to await them in the next round against the Suns, who are just going to be a much better offensive team, in my mind. But you can't take anything away from the Nuggets. Again, they're looking like that number one seed that a lot of people felt was fraudulent, but it's not because they were able to handle their business all regular season. They're looking really, really good. And I got to give them a lot of credit in that regard. But again, a lot of people looked at this as a series coming in to where Anthony Edwards at the end of the season looks kind of compromised. Cat uh, has been injured for the majority of the season. So their chemistry and continuity with Cat and Gobert just has not had the sample size to really be there. Jaden McDaniels, a late scratch because he fractured his hand. Not having him on defense is extremely difficult. And even his spacing, to just not have that at all makes their team worse. And also having no Nas Reed on top of that just makes things super difficult. So I didn't really expect them to do much outside of maybe potentially forcing it to go uh, you know, five games. But it's looking like Denver's going for the sweep. And if you're a team that's trying to win a championship, you really want to handle your business. You don't want these series going any longer because anything can happen from an injury, from a key player being suspended to potentially swing a series. Anything can happen. So if you really want to win, if you want to hold yourself in that regard, you have to be able to handle your business. And that's what the Denver Nuggets are doing. And I want to give a lot of respect and credit to them because that's what you're supposed to do. But as you progress through the playoffs, round by round by round, it gets harder. So we're going to be able to see just how good this Denver team is as we transition from round one to round two, which pretty soon is is going to happen. Um, I want to take this time, though, to transition to the Lakers and the Memphis Grizzlies. This series is very, very interesting. Um, as I said on the last podcast, coming in, my pick was going to be the Lakers in six games. Um, the main reasoning why is because with no Brandon Clark and no Steven Adams, I felt that this team would struggle in terms of their front court depth versus the Lakers. And I like their off-season, off-season, trade deadline acquisitions to just have more depth to their roster. And I also feel like for the Grizzlies, they still suffer sometimes getting good half-court offense through. And the Lakers typically don't turn the ball over crazy. So I felt that those things favored the Lakers to be able to win the series. And I think that for LeBron and AD, they're just able to impose their will and mismatch Hunt at times. Uh, so far in this series, it's 1-1 tied up. I have to say, it's been very surprising because Rui Hachimura has been amazing. And I understand that he's probably not going to do this for the rest of the series. But for a role player to come out in, in game one and have 29 points and then follow it up the very next game with another 20-plus point performance on good efficiency he's been amazing and if you're telling me that he's going to be able to do that on two road games I don't see why Rui Hachimura cannot be effective in this series and I'm not sure if I said this 
in the first episode of the podcast, but I said Rui Hachimura was going to be a dramatic X factor in this series because of his length, his size, and what he can do, especially if Vanderbilt is deemed unplayable in spots based on his offense. And ironically enough, for, for the Memphis Grizzlies in game two, there was no John Morant. John Morant's status for the series is up in question after he fell on his hand. So we're unsure of how many minutes or even how productive John Morant, if he plays, will be in the series. Vanderbilt's role is to really pick up Ja and play good defense on him. But if Ja's not really playing, it's kind of redundant to have him on the floor, especially because he's not really a spacer. Teams are not going to respect him from three. His hands are weak in terms of catching passes and being able to finish easy plays at times. And for the Memphis defense, they're just going to have JJJ be able to roam off of Vanderbilt. So it didn't really make much sense to have him play as many minutes. And in game two, I think that really reared its ugly head. But if Rui is able to be productive, they're going to be able to make up for Vanderbilt not being there on the court anyway. So it's interesting to see what happens. Xavier Tillman was spectacular in game two. Like he took it to Anthony Davis. He, he gave him the business. I'm pretty sure he had 22 and 10. Like he just played a phenomenal, phenomenal game. And Anthony Davis disappeared in game two compared to game one. He had inefficient shooting and he was not as dominant as he was within game one. I still think that Anthony Davis is going to get the better of that matchup throughout the entire series. And obviously going back home, who the Lakers are going to be playing their first playoff game, I think in a decade at home, it means a lot. And I think that the role player is going to play better. D'Angelo Russell's been terrible. Um, pretty much in every meaningful game since the play he just has not been great. And I think you're going to want to get more production from him. But if Austin Reeves is going to be able to take over games to the point where LeBron is on the court and he's letting Austin Reeves do his thing, then this Lakers team just has more depth and they're going to be able to win. But the thing that swings the series beyond JJJ, no, sorry, beyond uh, John Morant potentially not playing has to be the JJJ foul trouble. And I talked about this on episode one. And by the way, tap in because I'm telling you, episode one, I had all of my raw emotions uh, coming out. I'm a bit more, more organized on this podcast here, but JJJ's foul trouble was a critical thing that really made me pivot to the Lakers more because I predicted that JJJ and Dylan Brooks would be in foul trouble a lot more. And even though I was correct about Brooks, I have to say I was wrong about JJJ, but it's only two games, right? That can easily sw switch and really show itself on the road. But the amount of discipline that I've seen from Jaron Jackson Jr. has been outstanding for the entire postseason. His defense has been a plus. His offensive positive in terms of how he's been able to get to the free throw line, his, his shooting and his advantage creation in the post has been well. But the defense to not be in foul trouble and still be as effective as he has been, he's been dominant on the defensive end. I have to give him credit and I hope he can sustain this because again, this is the player that Memphis had in mind when they extended him to one of the, the best contracts in the league that is a front-loaded contract that decreases in value as he gets older. And he's showing his defensive player of the year status so far in this series. So I'm hoping he can keep that up. Staying out of foul trouble and being able to play these crunch time minutes, especially with no John Morant, is significant because now that puts Bain in a tough spot as he's asked to do a lot more. His usage percentage is going to increase and he's going to have to be 
a more productive creator from the perimeter, they need JJJ to help out in that regard. So the fact that he's not getting any offensive fouls or defensive fouls to where it's impacting how many minutes he's on the court, it means a lot for Memphis. And if they still want to be able to take this series, they need JJJ to play like that every game. So I got to give him a lot of credit. I was wrong on that so far, but game three tips off tonight. I'm definitely going to be watching that to see exactly what happens in that situation. But shout out to that series. I think the other big thing we have to talk about is LeBron. We know how good LeBron James is. Um, I understand how late in his career it is right now, but LeBron has to be more assertive in terms of getting to the basket. I think he's been a bit more jump shot reliant in this series. I think the answer is to really go through LeBron in the post more and use that as his, his way to create advantages. I don't think consistently Brooks can, you know, put a limit to LeBron if they put him in the post and they use his post passing. Because I still think a lot of people have problems guarding him in that way. But so far, I've loved what I've seen from both teams. And again, 1-1 split. For Memphis to get that split without Ja means a lot. I think Ja is still in question for game three. But I think that's going to be a really good series. I still lean Lakers in six. But Memphis is giving it a fight for its money. And I love what I'm seeing so far. But okay. Let's transition to the next series. Uh, Hawks survived game three. Big game. Big, big, big game. The Celtics look like the much better team through the first two games. I still believe they are the much better team. I picked the Celtics in five because, in my opinion, I did not see the Celtics team completely sweeping the Hawks. I figured they would let one game go, and that's what happened. And also, it's just hard to sweep teams in the playoffs. These games mean a lot. And for the Hawks, they rallied around their home crowd in game three, and they were able to snatch game three. Sadiq Bey shot amazing from the floor. Trey Young down the stretch, got his offense going, was making a ton of floaters. DeJounte looked real poised during the game, and they were able to survive. Boston um, needed more from Jalen Brown in this game. White picked up uh, two early fouls, but still played a solid game at the end. But Derek White was getting absolutely cooked by Trey Young down the stretch. And if Trey Young is able to just be a more efficient player and impact uh, this series with his efficiency and his pressure at the basket with his scoring, that does make this series a lot more competitive. But I mainly think that Jalen Brown just did not have a great game. If Jalen Brown is able to be more productive alongside Tatum, then that's a different series that we're talking about, obviously. And I still just think that the Celtics just have way too many looks and they just let that game go. Because even down the stretch, you saw the Celtics be able to get back in the game, but the hole was already slightly too big for the Celtics to really fight back from. But can the Hawks keep this energy into game four? I personally would bet against it. I think Boston takes game four, and I think they still take this series in five. I had the Hawks get in the game. But I'm telling you, if the Hawks are able to make this interesting and they take game four and make this a six or seven game series, it puts a lot more pressure on the Celtics because now you're getting out of that series having to play the Sixers in the next round. So I think if you're a Sixers fan, you obviously want this to, to, to go to distance. But I still think the Celtics handle business. So I still have the Celtics in five. But shout out to the Hawks for making it more competitive than the Timberwolves are currently in the West. So, so shout out to them. Uh, on the Sixers side, though, things are kind of grave right now. Uh, they took game three. Game three was kind of hard to watch. Uh, Embiid and Harden got blitzed and, and 
at times didn't really know how to deal with it. I think Embiid had like five plus turnovers. Uh, it was kind of rough, but the Sixers team is better. The Nets defense is real gimmicky. They're baiting other players on the team to beat them. And that's exactly what's happening. Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey are beating them. But now that Joel Embiid is out because of an ankle sprain, because in game three, he took so many scary falls. He's not there for game four. So there's a chance that the Sixers blow game four and they now have to go back to Philadelphia to close out the series. But we don't know. Right. They're actually tipping off and playing basketball now. So after the podcast, I will be viewing the game to see how that's going. But if you're a Sixers fan, you want to close out that series now. You want to get out of the series. You don't want any more players to sustain any significant injuries or time at all. You want to get out. And the point of handling your business in the first round is you open up the window for other things to happen for players to get hot and, and for your players to get more tired, uh, sustain more injuries that might hurt yourself more in the second round. You want to get out. So for the Sixers, you want to close out this game in Brooklyn, handle it in four games and be able to prepare for Boston, who has now extended their series beyond four games. So for the Sixers, this is their day to day to have an advantage to be out and be done. So hopefully they're able to see that. But if not, this next team will put up a fight. Mikael Bridges has been productive in a lot of these games, but really Spencer Dinwiddie has been hijacking their offense. It looks like Kyle Kuzma might have been right about Dinwiddie. I'm just saying he might have been right. But I still expect them to be able to close this out. It's going to be tough because we've seen Doc Rivers blow a 3-0 lead against a Raptors team that had him beat. So I don't know. But... I think the Sixers are in a prime position to close it out. I expect Tyrese Maxey to step up and have a very big performance with no Embiid being there. But we'll see exactly how that pans out. But all in all, that's going to do it for this week's uh, podcast, episode two of the Get The Who's podcast. I want to say I appreciate all the support. I am going to be having guests on here to go through some of the critical series that are happening. This is just episode two, so it's taking me time to... Uh, write down ideas and create stuff but I promise you I want this to be big I'm going to be having a lot of consistency with the episodes and production and all that type of stuff so I appreciate all y'all support I'll catch you guys in the next installment of Gifted Hoops probably within the next two or three days it's playoff basketball so I want to get these out as much as possible as quick as possible so I appreciate y'all have a good one make sure to like comment and subscribe on YouTube Gifted X Blade on YouTube um, if you're watching the YouTube version, I'll leave a link to the podcast uh, audio forms in the description. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Peace out. Have a good one. And appreciate basketball, please. We're in the playoffs. This is the end of the stretch. There will be no more basketball after this. So appreciate what you get to watch right now. Peace out, people.